how are you feeling? Let me just ask, over the course of the past year, where would you put yourself? The year, past year and a half, 18 months maybe. Let's go back that far. Let's go back to March of 2020. When all the wheels started falling off the bus, if they were not already falling off the bus, it, certainly they fell off the bus then. And then it's like been, there's been a continual grind, whether it's politically, whether it's, whether it's a pandemic, whether it's uh, uh, so much that's happening in the schools or happening in the hospitals or so much that's happening in our society and something happening with friendships and families and families divided. How are you doing? Because for 18 months of this, we've all been going through this and we've all been saying this. I can't wait to get back to normal. And if this is the new normal, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty exhausted already from the new normal. And so uh, where are you? How are you doing? That's a little legitimate question because um, I was um, thinking about three different words. In fact, I want you to think about it. how are you doing on a scale of 1 to 10? And if you're taking notes in the top right-hand corner of your bulletin, then you can put this down. Okay, what is your number from 1 to 10? 1 being I am in depression mode. There's a darkness around me. There's a darkness within me. I can't see the end. I can't even see light to go towards the light. Maybe that's you. Maybe, Maybe that's where you're at. Maybe you're at this other end. You are flourishing. You're looking at your life right now and you're thinking, hey, things going to be better financially, emotionally, uh, medically. Uh, our family's good. Everything is on firing on all cylinders. It is great. Thank you so much. Or maybe you're somewhere here. And I didn't know what word to put on this until I was reading an, uh, an article in the New York Times out of a- in April of this past year that came out that gave the word languishing. Languishing is not depression. It's not flourishing. It's languishing. It's kind of you're, you're in the middle of the two. You're not, you're not great, but you're not horrible. You're not in the tank, but you're neither are you on cloud nine. You're not walking on sunshine is your theme song of life. And go on and you read this article that was in the New York Times. It says this, languishing is a sense of stagnation and emptiness. It feels as if you're muddling through your days, looking at your life through foggy windshield. Maybe you're in that languishing category where when you look out at life, it doesn't look clear, it doesn't look obvious, it doesn't look uh, like, like you even know what's around the corner. You might be blindsided if you're not careful. You feel stagnant. You feel empty. Flourishing is that that peak of well-being. We have a strong sense of meaning, mastery, and mattering to others. People want to be with us. We matter to others. Or the depression is the valley of ill-being. You feel despondent, drained, and worthless. This article says and proposes that most likely what America is feeling in 2021 is more in that area of languishing. When's it going to be over? When's it going to end? When are we going to get back to normal? When's the pandemic going to go away? When are we going to take off our mask forever? When are we going to stop fighting on the interwebs and on the social medias? When are we going to learn to get along again? And what's happening, it seems like there's more uh, agitation, there's more aggravation going on inside the human heart now than there was in the beginning. So where are you at on a scale of 1 to 10? I've looked back over the past two weeks since I first was introduced to this article, 
And I thought, where are you, Mike? I'm definitely not in depression. I've been in depression before. I know what depression feels like, looks like, smells like. I'm not there. But neither would I call myself flourishing. I might call myself languishing. I'm kind of stuck. There's kind of some emptiness. There's kind of some muddling around. I don't know where you're at, but when you look at the life of Joseph in chapter 40 is where we're going to be today, so you might find it in your Bibles. I find that what John Saulhammer said about this chapter, that is the intermittary stage is how he describes it. It's really kind of, it's not that much that happens in chapter 40, but it's everything that happened before chapter 40, and it's everything that's going to happen after chapter 40 that really you see happening. But it was right here in this intermediary, it's in this land in between. It's not flourishing, it's not in depression, it's just in this luminary, liminary kind of state of being where maybe he is even languishing. And when you look back at the story, a life story of Joseph, as we've seen it go through the hills and the valleys from being born into prosperity to going down into a pit to moving into a palace. And we don't know how long he was with Potiphar in the palace. And we talked about the, 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 the brokenness of last week and the lies of last week. And we'll not go back and relive that. But it, it was just something, this turning of events. It's like he did everything that he was supposed to do, but nothing worked out for him. And he ends up in prison. And we have a pretty good read on how long he's in prison. But just as a reminder, everything that Joseph goes through, and yet somehow in the midst of all that he goes through, he never loses his character. It doesn't mean he doesn't deal with depression and struggles and bad days. It just never gives up, surrenders over his character. And just when you look at his family of origin, just before the age of 18, and you just look at the laundry list of offenses that he experienced with his family, that, that laundry list of, uh, of offenses that he experienced before the age of 18 would send me into counseling for the rest of my life. That alone is enough to send me into depression. But it's not enough there because it, if you're not safe and secure at home, then hopefully you can find safe and security at, on the job, Right? Hopefully, if you can escape to the job, and there'll be safety and security there. But when he gets to his employer, what does the employer do? As we saw last week, there's lies about his character, there's racist attacks, and there's unjust treatment. So he experiences this at home. He experiences this on the job. Where's a person to turn for safety and security? Where's a person to go for some sense of uh, of sound mind and some sense of loyalty? As much as he is loyal, how how can you keep going on? He finally, in chapter 40, he meets some prison buddies. That's where we're focused today. In chapter 40, he meets these prison buddies, his prison pals. And if you look at his prison pals, you would think that they would be loyal, right? But no, his friends forget him. He is forgotten. So whether it's family or it's uh, employer or it's friends, there's no doubt that Joseph has enough going on in his life before the age of 30, mind you, but how in the world is he going to keep up? How is he going to keep his nose above the water? Why didn't he just cash it in? Why didn't he self-soothe? Why doesn't he go over here and try some medication to kind of take care of the pain and numb the pain? Or find a, a, a glass of wine to, or a mimosa or something like that just to start medicating his day from the beginning and all the way till his, night, his, his nightcap at the end of the day. Because there's something about Joseph that we all need to learn. One of his prison pals that he meets, 
that he meets while he's in suffering. And again, some of our best friends come out of our times of suffering, whether it's suffering on the gridiron or suffering in the classroom or suffering uh, maybe on the battlefield of life. Uh, well, here's some friends that he meets inside. He meets two guys in particular. They don't have their names, but we do know that one was a baker to the king and one was a cupbearer to the king. So there was a mess in the kitchen that lands these two guys behind bars with Joseph. And they had told their own stories, and it's probably not a, a real uh, dangerous kind of jail when you have a baker and a cupbearer, but uh, it's one of those where they get to know each other. And Nehemiah is also a cupbearer. If you don't know anything about a cupbearer, a cupbearer is a person who actually tastes the wine, tastes the drink before the king would taste it to make sure it wasn't laced with some cyanide or something. So literally it would kill the cupbearer. If the cupbearer was not uh, dead, then the king was safe to drink it. So you got to realize this about a cupbearer. A cupbearer is completely trusted, completely trusted by the king. And is also within earshot of the king in any given moment in time. This is how close they are. Because he is the one who tastes the wine, tastes the cup, right before the king tastes it. So this is a pretty significant individual. But this person is locked up behind bars. And he and Joseph meet each other. But I want you to see the tragedy of whenever even your friends forget you. Verse 14, he says this as he helps him in interpretation of a dream. He says, only remember me, this is Joseph speaking, when it is well with you and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. Basically, when you get out and you get back in front of the earshot of the, of the Pharaoh, would you do me one favor? One favor. If I will help you with this dream interpretation gig, would you do me one favor and make sure the Pharaoh knows who I am and maybe the Pharaoh will pardon me. Do me that one level, solid, kind act. And then you have to skip down to verse 23. Whenever the cupbearer is is released from the prison, the baker, by the way, dies in prison, but the cupbearer is released from prison. And this is the next words. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. I got to pause there for just a moment. Because the narrator of Genesis is pausing. He's emphasizing something. How do I know that? Because he does this thing that Semitic languages did back then. And if you want to emphasize something, you repeat it. In Isaiah chapter 6, whenever Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up and the angels are, 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 are worshiping the Lord, they cry out, holy, holy, holy. That's how you emphasize something. You repeat it, you repeat it. Well, if you look very closely here, he basically is very redundant in what he is saying. He says, the chief cupbearer did not remember. In fact, he forgot him. That's redundant. It's the same thing. There's nothing different. It's just basically saying, yes, after he did everything that he should have done, after Joseph did everything he should have done, here it is that he is not remembered. Now, I I don't know where you're at in this room. This message may not apply to, but maybe about 15% of the people in this room today. But there will be a day that you will have an emotion that will hit you. You will go through a season. I'm, I'm sorry. It's just the way life goes when you will feel, listen, 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 abandoned, forgotten, and not remembered. And you will feel 
as if you are going through life all alone. And if it's not you today, I dare say we all know somebody who is there. And what is it that we are to do in this moment of abandonment, this this feeling? Again, remember, this is that liminality. This is between the, the promise that he was given when he was 17 years old, that he would rule over his family, rule over the nation. He would help save the world. That was the promise when he was 17. But it would not happen. Till he was 37. It's not going to happen for 20 more years at least. How is it that we are to navigate it between we are living in that intermarry state of, 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 of a promise given, but a promise not yet delivered? When you're living in this middle and you're feeling forgotten by God, forgotten by others, not remembered anymore, how are we to handle that? So I want to walk with you today, and the reason I'm sitting down is because I really wish I was sitting across the table from you. Because all of us have been there. Or we will be there. To some degree or another. I want to talk about three things that I see in the life of of Joseph that may help us. Number one, when you're in that state of feeling abandoned, walk in the light that you have not in the light that you don't have. Walk in the light that you have, not the light that you don't have. It's real easy to look out and to look ahead. And remember remember that, that word languishing meant like you were looking through foggy glasses? When you can't see everything as clear as you want to see it around the corner, maybe you've gone to the doctor, the doctor's given you the bad news, but he hasn't given you the solution to the bad news, or you've, you've been let go from a job and you, you, you know there's a future for you, but you don't know where that future is or how you're going to pay next month's bills, and you're kind of living out there, and it's like, I don't know what to do in this moment. What am I to do? Walk in the light you have and not the light you don't have. Whenever you think about dreams, you got to think about the dreamer guy. Joseph is the dreamer guy. There's six different dreams throughout the, the lifespan of Joseph that is recorded in the Scriptures. They, they all come in pairs. First he has two, then this cupbearer and the chief, uh, 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 the, the chief baker has, 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 there's two there. And then Pharaoh will have a couple and he will interpret those. And the, the God gives him this gift. Now, when I say dreams, these are not those unconscious dreams that we have on average three to six a night that we might have, but 95% of your dream that you had last night. In fact, I woke up in like 1.30 thinking, what was I thinking? What was I going on in my, you know, these weird kind of random kind of dreams that you might have. 95%, I don't even remember what I dreamed about last night. I just remember waking up thinking that was weird. 95% of it will be lost by morning. Not that kind of dream is what we're talking about here. We're talking about one of those times when God shows up, he makes himself clear, and he communicates really clearly. Even if you don't, it doesn't all make sense, it doesn't all come together. And again, I know this is a very Old Testament because we have the Holy Spirit and we have the Word of God to help guide us today, but it still happens. It may not happen like it used to happen. Well, in, in the Old Testament times, uh, again, there are, there are examples of this. And let's look at chapter 40, verse 1 to 5. This gives us the context of the chapter. Sometime after this, the cupbearer, the king of Egypt, and the baker committed an offense against the Lord. Now, we don't, again, we don't know what the, the, what the offense was against the, the Egyptian king. But somehow they got in a food fight. They did something in the kitchen, and he throws them in, pro, in jail. 
And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers and the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in the custody of the house of the captain of the guard in the prison that Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard appointed Joseph. Again, notice this. He constantly gets promoted. Joseph is constantly. I talked about that last week. He got promoted in Potiphar's house. Now he's being promoted in prison. He appointed Joseph to be with them and attend to, attend to them. And, and they continued for some time in custody. And one night when both of them dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker uh, of the king of Egypt, who had confined to the prison each of uh, 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 his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. Now, I'm going to do this for the sake of time. I'm going to say, if you'll read through on your own time this afternoon, and you can read the rest of this chapter, and you will get those two dreams, okay? Because for the sake of time, I need to move us forward. And just realize that those two dreams are there. They're really not paramount to the narrative of the story. It's just realizing this, that as Joseph is in the position that he's in, in prison at this point, what he is faithful to is the life that he has, not the life that he doesn't have. And he would love to know his future. He would love to know where he's going. He would love to know when he's going to get out of this jail, out of this prison. But he doesn't know that. So he has to be faithful with what God gives him. But this is not the only person in the Bible that this happens to. You can look at Joseph and look at Daniel and see some drastic comparisons. Or not drastic, some very similar comparisons when you look at them. Whenever you look at Joseph and Daniel, both Joseph and Daniel were held hostage in a foreign land. Both were given the light of interpreting what God says in dreams. Both of them, uh, both will stand before the king in the land. Daniel will stand before Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 2 of Daniel. And Joseph will stand before Pharaoh in chapter 41 of Genesis. And they will deliver God's revelation to them, okay? Both will win the admiration of kings. And both Daniel and Joseph will use the dreams to point out who the one true God is. And you'll even see Pharaoh and you'll see Nebuchadnezzar change their faith. Now, here's this is so, so critical. Because if you're Joseph and you're Daniel and you're living as a hostage or an exile or a prisoner, you might focus so much on yourself that you might miss what God is wanting to do globally. So Daniel and Joseph were, were held against their will, but yet God used them in the prison and in the exile to speak the message of the Most High God to the number one superpower in the world at that day. Pharaoh in his day, Nebuchadnezzar in his day. But they wouldn't have had that opportunity had they not gone through the darkness, had they not gone through the pain. Notice what happens in verse 8 whenever he's talking to the cupbearer and to to uh, to the chief baker. He said, they said to uh, they said to him, we have, we've had dreams and there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said, do not interpretations belong to God? He turns it on a question. He turns it as an opportunity to share his faith with them to help interpret their message. Chapter 41, verse 16, when he's talking to the Pharaoh, Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not, uh, it is not in me. God will give favor, uh, Pharaoh a favorable answer. You're going to get your answer, but it's not going to be from me. 
The secret sauce, Pharaoh, is not me. The secret sauce is the God in me. I I just want us to just kind of think about this for a moment. Joseph's life, it was unfair. If we don't learn anything about this, life is incredibly unfair. For Joseph, it was unfair. He didn't belong in the prison. Life is incredibly unkind. Have you noticed that? He's in prison and he's in shackles. We'll read here a little bit later on. But Joseph remained faithful to the light that he had. He didn't have all the answers. He didn't know when he was going to get out. But what he did know is he did know that God had given him the interpretation to those dreams. When you feel abandoned and you want all the answers, when you feel left out and you want more answers, when you don't have answers to your questions that you're asking, don't worry about what you don't know. Focus on what you do know and be faithful to that. When you're in those dark moments, you may not have all the answers. When I was 27, and I was, I was in, a, in a state of languishing in my, in my life, I felt like. I was languishing and wanted to get out, and wanted to move on. And I had a pastor who was further down the road in, my, in, in life than me send me a verse that has become one of my life verses. Because I was languishing and wanted out of this particular situation that I was in, but God wasn't giving me an out. He wasn't giving me an escape. I wasn't able to self-soothe my way out of it. It was this pastor in a handwritten note who sent me this verse that to this day, it is the verse, probably the top five verses of all the Proverbs that I pray over people, that I pray over myself. It says this, the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. It grows brighter, it shines brighter and brighter as the day is full, as the full day. And I realize that. That I may not have all the light, but I have enough light to be obedient to the light, to the step, the next step that God has for me. Number two, embrace your pain as a part of God's sovereign pathway forward. Embrace your pain as a part of God's sovereign pathway forward. He went from a pit to a palace to a prison to meeting prisoners, to the Pharaoh. And ultimately, and I don't want to give you the good news yet because you got to live in the tension, but I'm going to give it to you. He's going to end up becoming the prince of Egypt and you know the story. But don't go there yet. We so quickly want to wrap things up in a nice neat bow. But when you are feeling abandoned, there's no nice neat bow. There are nights that you go to bed. There are seasons that you go to bed. There are lives, t- times that you live that you're like, why am I living in this? God, where are you? Life principle for you. Adversity is not a diversion from the will of God, but a pathway to the will of God. I imagine you've heard the phrase snowflake generation. I'm afraid we have a generation of snowflake Christians. Snowflake being kind of a derogatory term to refer to people who are 
oh, we all get a trophy. We're all uniquely made, and, and yet we're all as, as beautiful as a little snowflake, but yet we're as about as weak as a snowflake. As soon as the sun comes up, we melt. That's the generation people talk about. I'm afraid that we have Christians that are much like that, myself included. An orthopedic surgeon who was a surgeon in, in, in India for the first half of his career came back to the United States in the last half. Paul Brand, orthopedic surgeon, said this about the American culture and our ability to handle pain. He said, in the United States, I encountered a society that seeks to avoid pain at all costs. Patients live at a greater comfort level than any I have previously treated, but they seem far less equipped to handle the suffering, far more traumatized by it. I'm afraid our pain tolerance when it comes to life's difficulties is just not there, and we get mad at God when God doesn't answer us the way we want. We, we doesn't take away our pain the way we want. Doesn't cure us the way we want to be cured, and we kind of get we kind of get stuck in this rut of of wanting to get mad at God. And I'm just want to say, listen. God actually may be using that pain. This is why I really would rather be sitting across the table from you because I want to read your nonverbals. God may be using that pain as a pathway and not a diversion. He actually may be growing you. You want to talk about pain? You want to talk about pain that Joseph went through as a prisoner for most likely up to 10 years as a prisoner unjustly unjustly tried and, and put behind bars for up to 10 years is what we can best estimate. This is what it says in Psalm 105, 17 to 19. Joseph, who was sold as a slave, his feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron until, until what he had said came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. That's the reality of pain. Pain is a part of God's sovereign plan. Look at verse 14 and 15. Note, here, I want you to hear the pain inside of Joseph. Only remember me when, you, when, it, when it is well with you. Please do this kindness and mention me to the Pharaoh. I read that earlier. And get me out of this house. Get me out of this prison. I'm tired of the shackles. I'm tired of the shackles around my neck. I'm tired of the shackles around my feet. I'm tired of the shackles. I'm injured. I'm hurt. Get me out of this fill in the blank. Maybe you today. For I indeed was stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also I have done nothing. They put me in this pit. Do you hear inside of him, him crying out, there's an injustice going on here and I need help? Whenever you feel that pain, it's easy to get mad at God. Been there, done that, got a t-shirt. Peter Scazzaro says it like this. One of the most important things about following Christ is when we learn you're not following your feelings. You're following Jesus. And if you follow Jesus and apprentice Jesus very long, you'll notice he had a life of suffering and pain. There's probably not a person that's ever in the 20th century, who is probably uh, more admired than Mother Teresa. I just started reading her journals. I am intrigued by them. Compiled the journals, put them together, and she's literally, for 50 years, she felt like she was living 
in a season of darkness. And she's one of the most selfless, self-sacrificing individuals that I know of in the 20th century. And yet she feels like she is in this dark night of the soul. Let me read just one entry from her journals, April 1961. Now, Father, since 49 or 50, this terrible sense of loss, this untold darkness, this loneliness, this continual longing for God, which gives me deep pain down in my heart. Darkness is such that I really do not see. Remember that languishing, that inability to see around the corner? Neither with my mind nor with my reason, the place of God in my soul is blank. There is no God in me. When the pain of longing is so great, I I just long and I long for God and And then it is that I feel that he does not want me. These are feelings. Remember, I can't get away from the feelings. Can't let the feelings drive you. Even right now, some of you are going, I don't want to hear this message. Listen, get away from the feelings and look. What is God taking? Where is he taking me in this pain? He is not there. God does not want me sometimes. That's what she felt. I just hear my own heart cry out. My God, and nothing else comes. The torture and the pain I can't explain. Mother Teresa's words. Yet one of the chapters in her journals, as she goes on in her life, is titled this. This is the chapter, and this is what she says, and this is what she records. I have come to love the darkness. There's something about that darkness, that pain, that doctor's report that doesn't come back, that job loss, that hurt, broken relationship, that betrayal, that it wasn't God's design. It is what's happened in your world. And you might think, God, you have abandoned me. Again, if I could just be across the table from you, I would want to hear that pain. And it's real. Number three, take off your watch and get out your calendar. Notice in chapter 40, verse 1, verse 4, 1 and verse 4, he says, sometime after this, the cupbearer and the king in Egypt and committed the offense. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended to them and continued for some time in custody. Now, now, when I, when I read that for the first time, I said, why are you saying sometime? Because it's not a short time. It's sometime. It's some season. It's some months. It's sometimes years. And there's not an easy, quick fix. You can't self-soothe enough. You can't buy enough. You can't get in debt enough. You, you can't change relationships enough. If the hole in the heart isn't whole, isn't fixed, you, you just you can't fix it. He goes on in this struggle, in this span of 13 years, as best we can guess, from chapter 37 to chapter 41. 13 years from the time that he was told by God that you're going to rule over your family, you're going to rule over the earth, and to the time that he's still living in the pit, still living in the prison. And I just, I, I lean on that and I go, sometimes those seasons go on and they go on 
and they go on. And I wish that there was a nice, neat bow I could put on this message and just say, hey, you know what? You're not going to have pain, and you're, you're not going to have seasons of darkness, and you're not going to have times whenever you can't see very far out. And I wish, I wish, I wish. And so many times we watch movies, and we watch the movies for the good guy to win and the good guy to get the girl. And we like them when they have a nice, neat, neat little wrapped up bow on them. And sometimes we live in seasons that there's not a nice bow. And they're not easy. What do you do in those seasons? How do you manage the chaos? And, I'll, and I'm going to say this to you. and it, 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 it will take two more years after the cupbearer gets out. In 40, chapter 41, verse 1, it says, After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed a dream. He was standing at the Nile. At that point, then the cupbearer goes, oh, yeah, 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 there was this guy. I met him. I can't remember his name. I met him in prison. And he goes and he gets Joseph, and I'll pick up the story next week there. But here's here's what I want you to understand. The tension of the moment is this. There's not a nice, neat package deal here. This message kind of leaves us hanging. But you know what? There's so many times that the days, the seasons... Keep us hanging. What do you do in those moments? I want to encourage you, don't go through it alone. This is a brief statement. I want to say it because I value it so much. I intentionally went and found some curriculum that our small groups could lead and go through. It wouldn't have to be a teacher. It could be facilitated. And Henry Cloud put together some curriculum for churches that heal. And I want to invite you to be a part of the churches that heal. Not that we have a little pixie dust, a little Bible verse for every problem of life. I encourage you to be a part of one. There's going to be groups forming. They're forming right now. You, there's so many ways you can get connected. One of the best ways is just go out in the gallery and find one of our groups. Find one of our group leaders. This past week, I have been so encouraged by reading through the scriptures on forgiveness and walking in the forgiveness that God has given me. Through a 40-day forgiveness, you version, I invite you to join us. I have read every single comment that has been given on that, on that hundred, over 100 people in that Bible study together. We're having an online Bible study every day of the week for 40 days. Would you join us? There's a text in slide for that, guys. You can text in and be a part of any of that. But I want to come back. To where I was this week whenever I found myself in one of those uh, moments. And I wonder, God, when are you going to answer? When are you going to come up with an answer for the darkness? And I was reminded of David when David prayed. And I want to pray this. This is going to be our prayer for the day. And I want you to I want you to follow these words because some of you may be living these words right now. Okay? And then I'm going to pray these words over us. Would you just watch them as they appear on the screen? I'm going to come back and I'm going to pray them over you. Listen to David's heart. Oh, Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with the anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day. 
how long? Notice he's asking, how long? How long? When's it going to end? God, just stop the pain. How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord, my God. Restore the sparkle of my eyes or I will die. Don't let my enemy gloat. Saying we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, some of us like David and like Joseph feel abandoned. Feel forgotten. How long? How long will we have to go through this? How long will the pain be there? How long will the lack of answers be there? How long will we feel this, this, this languishing emotion upon us? How long, God? How long? How long am I going to have to struggle in my soul? How long will there be sorrow in my heart? Is it going to be every day? Or will I get a day off? How long will people be devouring me? How long? Well, maybe the person that I live in the same house with be triumphing over me. How long? How long? Father, until I know, I may never know, but I will trust. Father, I pray in this room right now, Where there's not the emotion of trust, I pray there's the will to trust. The commitment to trust. Trust in your unfailing love to rejoice because you have rescued us. You will rescue us. You you will see us through. You will not let us perish. And we will sing. Father, Hear our hearts right now. And though maybe only 15 to 20% of the people in this room are feeling abandoned by the world around them and maybe even abandoned by you, God, I pray they will trust in you. I pray that they will find joy to sing of your goodness and trust in you. Lord, I pray in this time that you will speak to us. And Father, even if we cannot pray, I pray your Spirit will pray on our behalf. In your seat where you are right now, just put your own ending on that prayer.